Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the Taking Care of Business podcast. This is your host, Dan Troncheck, and uh, welcome to the show today. I, I was looking back through the archives as we are uh, as we are moving right along ahead into 2021, and I looked at all the podcasts that we did uh, really starting about March of last year in and around COVID, and, and who would have thought that here we are on uh, February 2021, and today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about, you guessed it, uh, COVID. Well, at least we're going to be talking about some of the issues that are surrounding COVID. And um, we're bringing back a former guest uh, to talk to us again today. Uh, we're speaking with Mick Terrell, who's a partner with Taft Law. And uh, Mick is going to weigh in with some advice and guidance for small business owners and really any business owners. A, a lot of what we've heard about lately is uh, the vaccine. And, and, and what does that mean to employees? Yours. Um, how do you have to deal with the vaccine? What do you have to do uh, with your employees? Can you require employees to get the vaccine? Well, well, Mick is going to shed some light on all of the rules and regulations as they surround any updated information on COVID and specifically the vaccine. So um, I know it's a real hot button issue right now. And um, and I wanted to point out that it wasn't too long ago, in fact, it was the end of January, January 25th to be exact, that NHPA uh, once again uh, sought and marshaled the support from the entire home improvement industry uh, to make a statement in regard uh, to COVID vaccinations. Um, if you haven't seen this statement, I'd encourage you to go to the yournhpa.org website where you can download this statement. And, and just to kind of distill what it was, is we were getting a lot of inquiries from retailers around North America asking us about, you, you know, hardware stores, home improvement stores, uh, the entire home improvement supply chain has really been considered essential since this uh, uh, pandemic began. And as such, uh, we are requesting in this statement that hardware store uh, employees and, and paint store employees and other essential level employees serving the home improvement supply chain be considered in the same level for getting vaccination priority as other members of essential services. Um, uh, this letter, we made it very clear that we weren't asking uh, that hardware store or uh, home improvement supply chain essential employees skip in front of grandma or get in front of teachers or uh, paramedics or anything like that. We just wanted to make sure that these employees that have been working so hard to keep homes safe and, and updated um, be considered with other essential employees in that in that uh, vaccination priority. And we, uh, as we did with the first letter, we got sign on from just about every major distributor in North America serving the hardware industry and the paint industry. And uh, that letter was, and that statement with those signatories was sent to all of the governor's offices in the United States, all U.S. territories and provincial government offices in Canada. Um, and that uh, letter is also available. Like I said, you can download it. So if you're having any issues in your area regarding vaccination priority, you can download that letter and use it as it is effective. But um, so we're going to address more about the vaccinations uh, with uh, Mick Terrell here in a few seconds. But first, a real quick word from our sponsors. 
When you grow a garden with Schultz products, you reap a bountiful crop of benefits for your business. With their wide array of specialty engineered plant foods, they're confident that finding the right one for your customers will be a quick and easy process. They have researched and tested formulations for specific plants and flowers, creating the perfect combination of nutrients for guaranteed success for your customers and your business. Schultz plant foods are available through hardware co-ops and lawn and garden distributors nationwide. For more information, go to knoxfert.com backslash Schultz. That's K-N-O-X-F-E-R-T dot com backslash S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Welcome back to the program, everybody. Uh, once again, appreciate you joining us. And, and and we are, like I said, here again to have a little conversation about some of the rules and regulations as they surround, uh, you know, doing business here in the uh, 21st century in the age of the coronavirus. And our guest today is Mick Terrell. He's a partner with Taft Law, a regional law firm that's based here in the Midwest. And Mick has been a guest on our program before, and he's done some webinars for us. He is kind of our... Uh, our legal go-to guy, and and particularly in the last year, we've uh, we've relied on Mick pretty heavily to give our uh, members and listeners guidance on on how to kind of navigate these corona-filled waters. Mick, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks a lot, Dan. Really appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you. Well, hopefully one of these days we'll talk about some labor and employment law issue that has nothing to do with COVID. <laughs> I can't. I, I think none of us can. Uh, are, are, we're, we're all ready for that day where we could just deal with the regular old mundane legal issues. But uh, but but here we are today. Hey, Mick, it's like I said, it's been a little bit since you've been on the program. So maybe you can kind of give all of our listeners a refresher course and in, in, in kind of what Taft Law does and, and, and kind of your background a little bit, because you are kind of a, uh, focused on employment law and that's kind of your uh, your bag. So maybe give everybody a, a little background ground on, on you and Taft. Yeah, well, appreciate that, Dan. Yeah, Taft Law, we've been, uh, believe it or not, the Taft Law Firm has been around since the 1800s. Um, right. It was uh, uh, started and, and named after the late, late, late President Howard Taft. Yeah. Uh, and his son, uh, Robert Taft, the senator, uh, kind of carried on the legacy of the Taft Law Firm. Uh, you might have remembered something called the Taft-Hartley Act. Sure. Yeah. And the Taft-Hartley Act was a legislation passed um, that helped businesses compete with the new union laws that had just been put in place. Uh, the Wagner Act allowed people to unionize and collective bargain and strike and all of that. And it kind of tipped the scale almost too much so in favor of employees or union employees and so the Taft-Hartley Act gave management rights to compete uh, with the union right le legislation. And so back in the 40s, the reason I'm saying all of this is back in the 40s, our firm was the one that helped draft that with Robert Taft uh, as the senator. And so around the country, we kind of became the go-to labor firm um, for management. Right. Um, and to this day, that's still kind of our bread and butter uh, we have 650 lawyers in about 11 offices all around the Midwest, you know, Chicago, Indianapolis, all over Ohio. And uh, while we focus a lot on labor and employment, we are a full service law firm. And I've been doing this, believe it or not, for 35 years. And um, uh, we were just talking before we came on air. Um, I'm in that age group that's almost ready to be vaccinated. So, um <laughs> 
the only time in my life I wish I was 65. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if I was 65, I would already be able to sign up, but I'm just a little bit below that. But uh, um, so you and, and that's what I do. I give labor and employment advice to clients. Uh, I've been doing that for a long, long time. And I got to admit, the last 12 months has been challenging. Um, Have you had any phone calls that are even non, uh, non COVID related or is that like uh, every not- once in a while people will call me with a normal question and I keep thinking it's a COVID question. And then I realize it's not. And I, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not even sure if I could remember, Oh yeah, I now remember that area of law. Um, <laughs> but it's starting now to become more and more traditional labor questions uh, yeah. in the last two or three months. Um, I do see the light at the end of the tunnel there with this uh, vaccination uh, or vaccines. So, yeah, I think it's uh, I think businesses are slowly but surely coming out of the deep thaw on this. And uh, hopefully we're going to see a light uh, here shortly. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, and I think that's part of it is, is you know, when we first talked about it, you know, there were all kinds of questions about uh um, uh, you know, about the legalities of, of could, could you let your employees travel or could you restrict their travel, all those kind of things. And it seems like we've all kind of sorted through some of those issues. So here we are. And, and one of the reasons, you know, I reached out to you and asked if you could help us with this is we just started getting so many calls from retailers and, and engagement from retailers across a, a variety of ways, um, really, as it focused on this vaccine. And, and as I said in the intro, our association not too long ago actually penned another statement that was sent around to all the governor's offices and so on, asking that uh, hardware home improvement supply chain employees who are considered essential be, be at least put into some of the groups uh, that are other kind of essential service workers in, in priority for the vaccine. But as these vaccines start rolling out, and and as you were just saying, I mean, we're getting closer and closer to people we know getting the vaccines, ourselves uh, getting the vaccines. Um, there's a lot of questions about how do I deal with this with my employees? Um, and, and the biggest question, probably the number one question we get is, can we require employees to get a vaccine? Can we say, listen, if you're going to work here um, and, and we're going to put you in front of the public, we really are going to require you to get that vaccine. Um, it, so I put that to you, Mick. Is that how, how does an employer deal with that? Well, the answer to the basic question is yes, an employer okay. can mandate that an employee get a COVID vaccine as a condition of, of entering the workplace. Okay. Uh, so now, there's an existing employee. Right. If, if there's, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Existing employee, you can make that a condition of employment. Here's what the EOC has done. The EOC normally is very employee centric, where it airs everything on the side of the employee. And the law that really governs this is the Americans with Disability Act. There are limitations on what you can do in terms of a medical examination. You cannot go to your typical employee and say, everybody has to have an examination right now to see if you have cancer or whatever. The EOC would never allow that. It has to be directly related to your job and or it has to be to protect other employees from a direct threat of harm. And so here the EEOC recognizes we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so it has said, we are going to say it's okay for an employer to mandate vaccinations because we think this pandemic, this virus is a direct threat of harm. Interestingly, most people don't know this, back when we had the swine flu virus, flu virus, Mm -hmm. the EEOC 
did not come out and say it expressly, but they clearly intimated that they would allow employers to require flu vaccines. So, so back when we had the swine flu, the EEOC clearly intimated that. So it's not a surprise that it said that you can mandate employees get a vaccine in order to enter the workplace. And that's different between firing them. Yeah. Uh, you have to then go through another analysis. And there's two, final thing, Dan, two very important caveats of what I just said. The employer, if the employer is going to mandate uh, this COVID vaccine, you have to take into account possible accommodations for medical issues. Sure. Or sincerely held religious beliefs. Okay. And, and does that kind of open the, the door? Well, a couple questions on that is can the employee ask for accommodations if they say, because the next question is, if an, if you say we're requiring all employees to get the vaccine, can an employee say, well, I really don't want to get the vaccine. Can I, and you're telling me I have to get it because I interact with other employees or or or, or I'm a pub, interact publicly. Will, can you make accommodations to allow me to work in the back room or something like that? Can they ask for accommodations to get around it that aren't, uh, that aren't necessarily tied to uh, health reasons or or religious uh, beliefs. Yeah, they can they can ask for that, but as an employer, if it's not based on a an, an a disability or a religious reason, okay, you don't have to do that accommodation if you don't want to. Okay, if if an employee says I'm just afraid of the vaccine, yeah, and you want to make that mandatory, you are not obligated. Uh, to give them an accommodation for that type of reason. Uh, now, it doesn't mean you can't give an accommodation. Right. You can't sit down with your employees and work with them. I'm not a big fan of mandatory anything in the world of employment law. Yeah. Um, I, I don't like dictating somebody to have a needle stuck in their arm right. um, because we're all different when it comes to that. Um but I will say in certain businesses, and this pandemic is so you know invasive, um, I, I can see in many industries where it makes sense to say to protect the rest of your workforce to make sure, sure everybody's vaccinated. And so the answer to your question on that one is, yeah, you, you can accommodate them if you want to, but you don't have to in that situation. Um as far as restrictions, I'd imagine outside of um, outside of exceptions for health or religious beliefs, if you're going to do this, it's something you need to pretty much blanket do with your entire. If you're going to say I'm going to make mandatory or make it mandatory that you get a vaccine to work here, it, it has to be a blanket across all your employees. You can't say, well, the office people don't have to do it, but the, or the sales guys don't have to do it, but the uh, the cashiers do or whatever. No, I, I'll disagree with you on that one, Dan. You actually can say, okay. <laughs> hey, uh, the office people have offices and they can spread out and they can stay more than six feet apart. Um, they can easily wear masks. But our production workers who are on a production line and they're two feet apart and they're having to talk to each other and touch around each other. And there's just no way to create social distancing. We're going to make all of our production workers get vaccinated, but the office workers, no. Or how about outside salespeople, for example? Let's say, you know, they're just driving around in a car and they can socially distance if they go to a customer. You are allowed to pick and choose. Okay. 
which group of as long as and this is obvious you know you can't say well all the women have to get vaccinated but not the men <laughs> just point that out you know it's never well, well, yeah. you know, so you obviously can't do it in a way that's uh, uh, discriminatory uh, based on a protected characteristic but if there's a legitimate business reason and my big thing here is work with medical providers um, if you're having questions on what to do don't be afraid to find some local expert in infectious disease or the state board of health or your local county board of health uh, and talk with them they're actually really good at this and they can help you uh, if you're saying, I'm not sure whether I should have everybody vaccinated in this particular group. And if you get some insight from experts, that will help support your decision down the road, especially with the employees. If you can say, hey, I talked to these various organizations and, and, and they thought this was a good idea. Now, an employee comes in and you say, we're going to do this. And an employee just tells you, I'm not going to do it. What recourse or limitations do you have um, if someone refuses? I mean, can you terminate them safely because of that? Or would you advise, well, listen, you just can't come into work until, you know, you get a vaccine or until the COVID is defeated or whatever it is? Or, or, or what are there limitations on that? Well, if they don't raise a medical or religious reason, or some other protected reason, which I can't think of at the moment, um, then you would have the right to terminate them if you so chose. I wouldn't recommend just jumping straight to termination. Yeah. Rather, I would try to sit down and ask the employee, you know, why they are unwilling to do it um, and see whether or not it is potentially based on a religious reason or a medical reason. And if it's not one of those two, then if you're able to accommodate the person until the workplace is safe, and the accommodations would be working remotely, okay. uh, wearing extra PPE, yeah. uh, things of that nature. If you cannot make it safe for the person to come in the workplace and you're not able to let the person work remotely because the person's job is not a remote job like a, a manufacturing position, then you ultimately can go to the termination decision. But I'm a big believer in sitting down with the employee and working with that employee and seeing if there's not some type of of uh, uh, an opportunity for you to accommodate them, if at all possible. You know, I think realistically, most of the um, insider feedback that we get from the retailers we're talking to, I think very few of them have discussed going the mandatory vaccine route. I think most of them are going to encourage employees to get it. Um, which, which leads me to a couple of additional questions is, is one, how, what regulations or what speci uh, specifics should an employer know if they say, well, one, I'm going to mandate the vaccine in terms of how you have to handle that with either PTO allowance or, or, or paying for the vaccine or anything like that. Or also the retailers out there are saying, listen, I'm not going to require people to do it, but we're going to strongly encourage that. Does that change with what you have to do in terms of PTO or, or, or are there requirements uh, for something like PTO around this? No, if you, if you make it voluntary, if it's truly voluntary, then all of the little rules that surround accommodation and whether you have to pay for it or not, those all go out the window. Okay. Because if it's truly, and I underline, truly voluntary, yeah. then then you don't have to go through an accommodation analysis. You don't have to decide whether to pay for it or not. 
But if it's mandatory or it's a wink, wink, hey, it's voluntary, but this is really what we expect of everybody. Right. Then that's going to be deemed mandatory. And and the issues, again, you have to deal with, Dan, when it is mandatory, um, if somebody has a medical issue, you have to sit down with them and determine, can I accommodate that? Okay. And the accommodation is maybe remote working, um, maybe giving them a leave of absence, maybe having them wear extra PPE. Uh, and if you ultimately determine you cannot accommodate it, then obviously you could look at separating. Uh, same thing with religious. If somebody comes in and says, this is against my religion, uh, for the most part, the courts give employees a pretty wide birth when it comes to what is a religious belief. Um, and you go through the exact same accommodation analysis for a religious belief as you do medical. Is there something you can do to accommodate them? Have them work remotely, have them wear extra PPE, give them a leave of absence. If, if none of that works, then you're allowed to go to the next step, which is termination. Um, and when it comes to mandatory and paying, uh, the most courts will say that for a non-exempt employee, if you require them to get the vaccine, you have to pay for them for that time spent to get the vaccine. Okay. Uh, now, again, if it's a exempt employee, then you don't have to worry about that. They're salaried and they get paid regardless. Um, but a non-exempt hourly employee, you'd have to pay for that time. But again, if it's voluntary, truly voluntary, all of that goes out the window. And then it's just up to them whether they want to get it or not. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to accommodate. You don't have to do any of those issues. And, and, and I think what I'm hearing, too, is a lot of people are saying, listen, we're, we're going to we're going to request, you, you know, that if you're comfortable getting it, getting it. And actually, I'm hearing a lot of retailers that are going a little bit beyond that and saying, listen, if you get it, we'll pay you four hours PTO or we'll just get whatever your wage is. We'll give you a check for, you know, if you're making ten dollars, fifteen dollars an hour, we'll give you a sixty dollar check if you if you go get the if, if you go get the vaccination. Uh, is it OK uh, in that regard for an employer to say I, I whether I'm going to require it or whether I'm asking voluntary and giving you some kind of PTO or bonus concession, whatever it might be for me to ask to actually see some sort of physical proof that you have obtained the vaccine or, or does that run afoul of uh, um, information? No, you're absolutely uh, permitted. The EEOC in its actual guidance uh, manual says that you're allowed to ask for proof. Okay. Um, and you can even have them sign like a verification. But most of these agencies will give you a document saying that you got the vaccine. Okay. And so you you can require them to provide that to you. Now, if, if you make it mandatory and you ask people to show you proof in the they say, I didn't get it. And then you have to then at that point deal with the accommodation issue. Um, You did say something uh, a little earlier that I think is important to talk about too. And that is if you're going to incent people to go get vaccinated voluntarily. So, Hey, I'll give you a 50 bucks or 60 bucks, or I'll give you an ice cream cone. Uh, (laughs) Um, The people that have a disability or religious belief, they could argue that that's discriminatory. Okay. Because, hey, I can't get the vaccine. Um, uh, I can't get it because of my medical condition, but yet you're paying it to these people. So therefore, you're discriminating against disabled folks. Okay. Yeah. So you should be careful with that then. Or, or and is so there- what I always recommend, and I'm a big believer in this world, is I don't want to kill a great idea, which is trying to encourage people to get a vaccine. 
um, and that's a good idea, I think, for the most part. Um, what you could do to offset that problem uh, for the individual that doesn't get it, because what's the damages there? 60 bucks or whatever you pay if they sue you. But you could turn around if you're keeping the person because you've accommodated them, you could give them an incentive equivalent to that if they do something that helps the cause, such as, you know, they, um, they go out of their way to ensure that they get tested, for example, on a periodic basis to see whether or not they have infection. And so if they would go get a test, I likewise will pay you that 60 bucks. Okay. Okay. Um, if you can get tested to show that you're not infected and that'll be your incentive to do that. When it comes you know, you touched on this topic of testing. Has anything evolved throughout the course of COVID in regards to um, how or whether you can require employees to get tests and, and, and how does that kind of, you know, I, I mean, listen, I, I know for, just in the legal profession, everybody's just like we are in, in, in this world learning as we go with this thing. So I'd imagine things have kind of evolved in some, some degree from when we started to where we are now. What about things like testing? Has anything changed dramatically in that regard? Uh, the, the law around testing has not changed in that. The, again, the EEOC is being very aggressive here to try to prevent the pandemic. And so you're allowed to test and you can test everybody anytime, any place, anywhere. Yeah, um, okay. The only difference is the same thing, religious yeah. and medical uh, dis, dis, disability accommodation. So if somebody says I won't because of a disability or because of some medic or a religious re reason, then you have to go through that accommodation process. Okay. Uh, and all that means is, is there something you can do to, to allow the person to continue to work with you if they don't get tested? Okay. And if you yeah. can't come up with a reason, then you can part ways. The only good advance that's happened, Dan, in the testing arena is before you had to just do the PCR test, which takes, you know, two to three days to get a result. Yeah. Um, a lot of companies now have rapid 15-minute testing. Right. And, and, and so you literally can get tested and be put in a holding room and 15 minutes later, it's about 90 to 95% accurate. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so a lot of companies are considering those type of things, um, in 30 days out of Australia, uh, they are going to, uh, uh, have over the counter at home rapid testing where you can test yourself and 15 minutes later have a result. You know, I've heard that some employers are going to say, we're going to give everybody a subsidy of X yeah. dollars to pay for like 10 of those. And about sure. every 60 days, we're going to have you do a at-home test. Um, so I think that those are the advances are really more in science, not the law. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, kind of the last thing I wanted to ask you, Mick, was in the area of, of you know, as we're talking about all this, I mean, obviously keeping your employees safe, keeping a, a safe work environment is is paramount. But but the secondary concern is a potential exposure to liability for a business. If someone says, I went to Dan's hardware store and the guy there, you know, they were wearing masks, but I didn't go anywhere else. I'm pretty sure I got COVID at Dan's hardware store. I'm going to sue him. Uh, you know, and that's, I know, obviously with the, with the debates about, um, relief. There's been a lot of discussion about liability exemption and so on. Where, where are we on that right now? Where does that kind of stand? Yeah. For the most part, every state has worker comp laws 
that will say that if you get COVID and you somehow can prove you got COVID at work or in the course and scope of your employment, and I'll get back to that in a second because I think that's going to be hard to prove that. Right. Uh, but if you can prove that, um, then you'll be covered by workers' comp law. And worker right. comp law has, is the exclusive remedy. You can't sue your employer okay. for damages above and beyond workers' comp. And, and so let's say you, you know, tragically, you know, have some permanent damage done by COVID and you somehow prove you got it at, in the course and scope of your employment, you're limited to the workers' compensation coverage. Okay. okay. That's your exclusive remedy under the law. Now, how in the world could you possibly prove you got it at work? Because you could get it in all kinds of places. Let's say there's an outbreak in the office and you just happen to be in that outbreak corner, that's how you might be able to prove it. You know, hey, I wasn't anywhere else. There's an outbreak. And the reason I tell folks, my clients, to follow local ordinance, follow guidelines in your state and city. Don't ignore those. Why? Because if you do, there's an exception to the workers' comp laws. And if you are intentional or grossly negligent in in trying to keep safety in your workplace, they can then pierce through the exclusive remedy and then come after you for damages yeah. that exceed that. So that's why I'm, I'm a big believer. Follow the rules in your locality. Right. So if you're thinking about, well, you know, for whatever reason, I'm not, you know, uh, if this is how you think that you're not a mask supporter or whatever, and you want to somehow make a point with your business of saying, well, we're not going to have anybody wear masks at our business. It goes beyond just making a point. It could really be exposing your business to extreme liability. Yeah. I mean, if somebody, God forbid, passed away, yeah. you know, again, there's limitations on workers' comp. You have workers' comp insurance. Um, right. But if all of a sudden they could say, hey, you you just thumbed your nose at the local ordinance or the state executive order, you intentionally endangered the workforce, I'm going to come after you over and above workers' comp. And you probably won't have insurance coverage for something like that yeah. uh, because it's gonna, the argument is going to be intentional conduct. Right. And most general liability policies carve out intentional conduct. And so, again, you're playing with fire if you go there. And trust me, as a lawyer, <laughs> there's an army of plaintiff COVID lawyers oh, lined man. up over the next five years that are going to be bringing crazy lawsuits um, and I mean that in the most politically incorrect way for point of word. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But they're going to bring class actions. They're going to bring all kinds of things based upon any small hiccup your business might have done in relation to COVID. You know, right. the Family First Coronavirus Act. You're going to get all kinds of claims where people are going to say, hey, I should have got that and I didn't get it under the FFCRA. Yeah. Uh, they're going to bring claims under people that get sick and and, and uh, injured due to coronavirus, and they're going to blame businesses. So I keep my P's and Q's as best I can. What about customer claims? Obviously, with things like ADA, you know, there's an army of attorneys out there looking to file uh suits against businesses on behalf of customers who aren't, uh, who see the business as an ADA compliant. Do you think that same kind of uh, uh, storm is brewing on the COVID side for someone that says, I was a customer at Dan's Hardware and I got, I think I got COVID there. Yeah. I mean, I could see somebody saying that they'll say that, Hey, you know, I, I went there, they had an outbreak, only place I was, I'm going to sue them. It's no different. And then you'll fall under each state's law on business invitee. 
Okay. And there's a different standard there where there's, it's generally a negligence standard, but it's slightly different and not to bore everybody with that. But, <laughs> but again, all the more reason to have proper, appropriate CDC, state law, local law. If you comply with all of that, it's going to be really hard for anybody to blame you. Yeah. Here, we, mean, we, we show you where everybody had masks. We had tests for everybody. Here was our cleaning schedule. You know, we did everything we were supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and this little virus is going to get around all of these precautions in some cases. Sure. And so as long as you have some showing that you are complying, the ones that are going to get in trouble are the ones, well, doesn't your state require mandatory masks? Doesn't your city require mandatory masks? No. And you didn't have it, did you? No. Yeah. And you had an outbreak and you didn't claim. Well, that's where you're going to potentially be in trouble with a customer. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, again, Mick, I, we, we really appreciate your insights on this. And I always want to leave a conversation like this by saying, you know, if you if, you know, any one of our listeners, if you have questions or concerns, make sure you, uh, you know, you, you consult a legal professional in, in your area, because, you know, as you were just pointing out, Mick, that some of these can get really weird because state by state, community by community, the regulations, are, as we're seeing, are different. So if in doubt, Talk to your local lawyer and and see what he has to say. But Mick, thank you so much. I mean, obviously, Taft and yourself bring bring a lot of experience to this equation. And and like you said, hopefully next time when I have you back on the program, we could just get to talking about some you know slip and fall stuff or something like that. <laughs> well, the one thing I'll leave it with all the listeners too is, um, you don't at all times need a lawyer. Um, a lot of these questions, if you were to get on the EEOC's website, yeah. uh, they actually have this uh, COVID um, question and answers and virtually everything we've talked about here today, you will see a Q&A on that. And it's from the EEOC. And so, again, they're very employee friendly. So if they're saying you can do something, uh, that's a pretty good sign that you can. But don't hesitate to get on that website. And it's not hard to go through it and you'll see an answer to virtually every one of these questions as it relates to your employees. So it's a great resource for you to look at. If, if you want to you know, save a few bucks on a lawyer, you can probably answer some of that just on that EEOC website. We'll make sure that none of you guys' clients hear that last part of this, Mick. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, again, we, we we always appreciate your insights, and thank you for being so generous with your time throughout this entire uh, uh, ordeal. I know that ours is not the only organization that you you work and support, so we always appreciate your willingness uh, to come on here and shed some light on on some of these issues our our members are dealing with. Appreciate it, Mick. Don't worry, one of these days I'll ask for some hardware question after I retire, and I'm sure I'll have plenty. But uh, we can, we can I, I enjoy working with you guys very much. Well, thanks so much, Mick. Appreciate you being on the program. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.